Free speech. Freedom of speech. Academic freedom. Free speech. What happened to free speech on university campuses? Today, it seems like we just can't stop talking about free speech on college campuses. All right, let's talk about Harvard this morning. And it feels like always, somehow, it comes back to Harvard. A Harvard professor. Faculty of Harvard. A Harvard education. So what is the state of academic freedom at Harvard today? As a part of a three-part special commencement audio series brought to you by The Crimson, we talked to our reporters to find out. From Plimpton Street, this is News Talk. I'm Frank So. Hi, my name is Rahim Hamid, and I'm the FAS administration reporter for The Harvard Crimson. My name is Jay Sellers-Hill, and I am a college admin reporter for The Harvard Crimson. So there have been a number of faculty initiatives on campus that have sought to address what they see as issues of academic freedom on campus. I wonder if you could tell us about how those groups first formed. Yeah, so the Council on Academic Freedom at Harvard was launched, I believe, in April. Their formation was announced in a Boston Globe op-ed by Stephen Pinker, who is a professor of psychology here, and Bertha Madras, who's another, who's another professor at Harvard. And they sort of outlined their reasons for forming the council, why they were forming the council, what they'll be doing as a council. A number of faculty who I interviewed pointed to, who agreed that there was a problem to begin with, said that the way they see the problem manifested is a, a sort of a, quote, rise of self-censorship. Similar to what Sellers was saying, people themselves, they feel like, are afraid to say certain things and sort of make certain points and make certain arguments because they're worried about societal pushback, pushback from peers, pushback from faculty. The council has, has pretty substantial membership with sort of many famous names, and membership is growing. Now they're at over 120. They started with less than 70. They have six co-presidents, all uh, many of whom are sort of our very famous names in academia and famous names in their field and, and in the world at large. And they, they, have, they have a website that's pretty public now with, with membership and sort of on their website. It says they are united by their commitment to the following three principles. And those three principles are free inquiry, intellectual diversity, and civil discourse. I've heard from some students that they feel like maybe there is kind of judgment placed on them when they ask certain questions. And, and maybe it's even points that they don't actually agree with that they might ask in class, you know, what the opposition to an issue thinks. And, and they feel that students look at them and wonder why they would even want to know that because it's kind of against what a lot of students believe. And that's kind of one thing we hear that people feel just kind of generally judged in the classroom or judged in the social sphere about what questions they're asking or um, what ideas they're interested in looking into. I think another big part of this is what speakers are welcome on campus. There are a lot of clubs at Harvard and a lot of those clubs invite speakers. Some of those speakers are really controversial, especially when we're talking about issues of religion. Um, there's of course the Israel-Palestine debate there's always a battle over what speakers are affiliated with different sides of that issue um, should be allowed on campus. There's kind of this really growing debate right now about ideas of gender dysphoria, um, of gender affirming health care, um, and how we should treat trans students in sports. That's an issue that a lot of speakers uh, really want to talk about on college campuses. Some students feel like this is a very pertinent issue. We need to talk about it. Some students are saying, actually, I would feel really unsafe if someone were to come to campus and tell me that they think that, um, you know, gender dysphoria is a mental illness, that they're, they're labeling my identity as an illness. So you, you kind of hear a, a lot of competing perspectives on what is valid speech? What's a valid speaker who should be given that Harvard name in, in that platform? And who's just, you know, too, too dangerous? Uh, to bring to campus. Mm. It sounds like then that there's a fine line for what verges from academic freedom to 
personally and socially unsafe. I wonder what Harvard's current spectrum seems to be there. Where has Harvard shown the line to be? In the past, there have been a couple of examples that people have pointed to. One of them is Carol Hooven. Flynn Craddy, a lecturer in history and actually the executive director of the Council on Academic Freedom at Harvard, said that the example of Carol Hooven was on some faculty's minds when they were forming the Council on Academic Freedom at Harvard. Carol Hooven was a lecturer in the Human Evolutionary Biology Department here, and she publishes this book called Testosterone. And in July 2021, she goes on Fox and Friends and talks about the book and sort of talks about her work and, and makes some comments that people found to be problematic. The diversity and inclusion chair of the, within the Human Evolutionary Biology Department sort of went on Twitter and, and said this is not okay. And so Hooven is no longer teaching at Harvard. She's still at Harvard as, as an associate with, with the Pinker Lab, but now Carol Hooven is no longer teaching at Harvard. So def- definitely an example that people might point to, that some people might point to as academic freedom at risk or academic freedom being threatened. The second thing people might point to, for instance, is David Kane. David Kane was a lecturer in the government department who invited Charles Murray, a sort of uh, a, a man who established organizations like the Southern Poverty Law Center, have said that he's, I think, a racist pseudoscientist. And David Kane invited him to his class. And this also caused a lot of pushback. David Kane was eventually let go by the university because he himself had made lots of racist statements in the past that came to light. But those two instances... I think are notable instances where, where some speaker has been invited to campus and there has been action as a result of it. In terms of policy about what speakers are allowed, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm aware of a recent speaker that was just flatly denied the opportunity to come to campus. I am aware that Harvard in the last five years um, changed their policy about what is required um, when you bring a, a speaker who would be considered controversial. There's very specific language about what is a controversial speaker. I think it's basically a speaker that you can reasonably expect is going to um, create a response on campus uh, to their presence. One of those requirements is that the school wants to know about it a month in advance. Another one of those is that there should be a neutral moderator. That was a new requirement that the school added, um, that you can't have someone on stage um, openly kind of agreeing with the points made by this person, that there should be a moderator who is um, you know, potentially fact-checking things, fielding questions from the audience. And I think the the kind of hope is that that would diffuse the situation in a way um, that would direct the conversation toward a more academic um, sphere as opposed to um, just kind of espousing speech that people might find uh, offensive or dangerous. There was a pretty clear divide um, that I saw when interviewing students. There are a group of students who really believe that no matter how offensive, you should listen to a speaker or listen to another person um, because it is valuable to hear that, even if you don't agree with them. You know, we, we talked to a Jewish student who said that they would listen to a neo-Nazi, right? That you have to acknowledge that those views exist in the real world. Another perspective um, are students who say, why would I give them the time of day, right? Like, I know that there are neo-Nazis in the world. I know that there are racists in the world. I don't want to entertain that idea. It's not something that I think adds value to my education. It's something that makes me feel unsafe. It's something that makes me deeply upset. And having that person on campus and having Harvard even tolerate those words in the air makes me feel more unwelcome. And that is a really big divide that we see. And, And very few people kind of fall in the middle. 
with faculty, it seems like they all have slightly different opinions about, well, one, what the issue is, but two, how to address it, right? I think one thing that all faculty would agree on is that these conversations have to be had in good faith. I think faculty would say that bringing somebody to campus just to be provocative, just to say things for the sake of saying them, is not really the mission of the academy, right? It's not educationally beneficial for someone to just come in, say things without any academic value, but just say things for the sake of saying them and then leave. And that intention and that part is very important, right? You're not, you're not bringing somebody in with the intention of hurting a students. You're bringing them in in good academic faith. Faculty would also agree, some of the ones we've talked to would say, discomfort with certain ideas is a part of the university that students shouldn't be safe from ideas. Students should be safe physically, but students should not be safe from ideas that just make them uncomfortable. I'm noticing there then that there is a little bit of a discrepancy between student and faculty opinions. Has an administration taken a different stance that toes the line between the two? When Derek Bach was president, he released free speech guidelines for the university that the university still points to as the kind of rule book for how they deal with free speech issues on campus. Um, and so this rule book has been in play, at least in some part, for, for 30 years at least now. At least this one fa- faculty member I've talked to has said there's a top-down approach that the top levels of the university have been supportive of free speech and even sort of people being a little bit uncomfortable with, with certain ideas. This is something that the administration has flagged as an issue, sometimes at kind of the highest levels. So there is one committee that we're aware of uh, called the Intellectual Vitality Committee, which is a group of alumni, students, faculty who occasionally meet with Dean of the College, Rakesh Karana, um, to discuss their kind of ideal for what an intellectually vital campus would look like and set up trainings or initiatives that give students kind of a toolbox of how to express themselves in heated discussion with other students without maybe burning those bridges by, you know, remaining friends with people while kind of having a really heated conversation about hot button issues. This group has gone and presented to the Board of Overseers, which is the university's second highest governing body. This is something that uh, people really high up in the institution are listening to, that they're receptive to, and that presumably they think is an issue. And, and I'm, I'm not sure that there's really a consensus that there is a problem. A lot of students said, it's not like we have a campus that's super shut down in terms of what people can say. I hear people say terrible things and they don't get canceled, right? Or even people saying, oh, my own friends say horrendous things sometimes and I'm, you know, still friends with them. I, I don't see what the problem is. It's certainly not a, a homogenous uh intellectual situation going on at the college. Polling um, that's been done on Harvard students shows that they're relatively comfortable sharing their opinions in the classroom above the national average. That does go down when it comes to um, sharing your opinion in social situations and common spaces on campus. And it decreases even further when it comes to social media. There is, you know, obviously some lack of comfort in expressing your opinions to your peers, but I'm not sure that students have reached a point or that there's been an event that has called students to really concretely decide, okay, what do I want out of, you know, my social interactions when I'm talking about controversial issues? So are other peer institutions reckoning with similar issues across the nation? 
I'll give you three examples. Last month, Stanford Federalist Society invited a conservative judge to speak on campus, and he was shouted down by protesters and activists. He sort of made national headlines. And in response to that, Stanford's president and law school dean issued a statement. One, they apologized to the judge for the way he was treated at the university. And two, they basically said that they're taking a stand for free speech and they're taking a stand for these points of view. That kind of thing doesn't, isn't really happening at Harvard. We don't have a conservative speaker coming here who's been shouted down, right? Second example, Cornell. There was a proposal by their student assembly uh, that would have asked professors to provide trigger warnings for certain material and, and content. And Cornell's president and provost said no. They rejected the proposal because they said, they said that the proposal sort of would violate Cornell's policies on free speech and academic freedom. At Yale two years ago, a professor in the very popular program on grand strategy resigned, which raised lots of uh, questions about the role that donors had in influencing curricula and programming at the university. And as a result, Yale's president announced a committee that would review gift policies and how donors are influencing the academy at Yale. We haven't had something like that at Harvard. And so as a result, the problem that students and faculty are perceiving seems to be more subtle. Even the students who feel very strongly that this is an issue that needs to be fixed, they're not offering one solution. It is probably years of evolution. It's a variety of solutions. There's really no one on campus saying, oh, if we just did this one policy change, suddenly we would have a much more intellectually vibrant or an open campus in terms of free speech. There's only so much you can do from an institutional perspective when it comes to releasing statements. One thing that's been discussed is, should there be a new question on the uh, Harvard application that asks you to talk about why it's important to you know, talk to people you disagree with? Or maybe there's a new part of freshman orientation that encourages you to, uh, you know, be open to new ideas or talk to people who are different than you. These ideas have been floated, but it will presumably have to be a long-term shift in the stakes that people feel are attached to these issues. On campus, there are some student organizations who, in their words, commit themselves to free speech and academic freedom. The salient is one of them. I wonder if the student attempts at free speech have mirrored the Council on Academic Freedoms, or if more or less that students and faculty are each working on their different tracks right now. On the student side, that's what is a little bit strange. The administration is having this kind of red alert moment of we need to mobilize what is more than 100 faculty members to fight for academic freedom on campus. There's the Harvard Alumni for Free Speech, which is this new group that has a website. They have nonprofit status. They have a board of advisors. They formed two years ago, I believe, and said, you know, now is time to take on this issue. We're alumni and we're really worried about protecting free speech at Harvard. A few years ago in 2017, there was a new group formed on campus called the Harvard College Open Campus Initiative. They brought on some kind of controversial speakers, including Jordan Peterson, who's been criticized for a variety of views, including his views on uh, trans people. They also brought in Charles Murray, who's been criticized for arguing that there's an intellectual basis for IQ, especially across um, different racial and ethnic groups. They brought those speakers on. There were some protests, as far as I can tell. And then in about 2019, two years later, they kind of fell off. Their Twitter stopped being active. The only other recent group that's been advocating for open campus dialogue is the Harvard Salient. They started in the 80s, continued to publish anonymous opinion pieces, editorial pieces about issues, including gay marriage, uh, religious freedom, censorship on campus. And they kind of 
again, fell off sometime in the 2000s and then have only recently been revived in 2021 and started publishing again, still anonymously, because they claim that it allows them to spread their actual opinions and not be censored on campus. But other than those two groups, there really hasn't been kind of a, a moment for students to band together and decide that this is a problem. So we'd be missing an elephant in the room if we didn't talk about the fact that free speech, academic freedom is much larger than just a Harvard issue. You've mentioned past examples at past schools. Academic freedom isn't just something that the educational sphere is currently debating hotly. It's something that has entered into the national conversation politically, socially, in a way that is as strong and potent as ever before. I wonder then if you see Harvard acknowledging or reckoning with that as a university. Faculty are very quick to point out that academic freedom is not a partisan issue. It's not an issue where Republicans are doing all these terrible things or Democrats are doing all these terrible things. Some people might point to Ron DeSantis in Florida. Some people might point to sort of the rise of wokeness and how that's censoring speech, right? Different people will say different things, but I think people generally agree. And at Harvard, faculty will explicitly say that academic freedom is not a partisan issue. It's one of those things where academic freedom is just inherently important to the university, to the idea of university and to the role of the university in society. Faculty will tell you that all the time. But whether or not there's a problem, what that problem looks like, and the deeper questions about it are the things that people are disagreeing on. I spoke to a student named Oliver who kind of said that on the surface, Yes, there's nothing that crazy about inviting a controversial speaker. Yes, it can be really important to even hear the perspective of people that might hate you. But it means something to speak at Harvard. And if this is someone who can turn around and say, I spoke at Harvard, I am valid, I am part of this debate, and even recruit followers to their ideology, then you might actually run the risk of doing harm to students. This is a student who belongs to the queer community, and they might genuinely be fighting for basic rights in terms of this current conversation. There are very real considerations to be made about platforming people who aim to do direct harm to certain communities that our students belong to. And I think we can't necessarily have this conversation about welcoming speakers just in this purely academic, listen, you sometimes have to hear ideas that you don't agree with. No, there's real world implications for having a person on Harvard's campus and giving them a piece of promotional material. Thank you so much, Sellers and Raham, for joining us to talk through academic freedom at Harvard. Thank you. Our pleasure. News Talk is hosted by Frank S. Zoe. The producers of this episode were Haley E. Krasnikov, Julian J. Giordano, and Frank S. Zoe. Our multimedia chairs are Joey Huang and Julian J. Giordano. Our managing editor is Brandon L. Kingdollar. Music in this episode comes from freesound.org. From 14 Plimpton Street, this is News Talk.